May I have a <clears throat> show of hands? How many of you are uh, very new to meditation, any form of meditation? Show of hands. How many of you are new to this form, insight meditation or vipassana? Anyone here for, at, to CIMC for the very first time? Show of hands. Okay. That's helpful. Just before coming over here this evening, <clears throat> my wife asked me, what, are you gonna, what was I going to speak on? Uh, and I have a title. I had no content for it. The title isn't searching for it. still is, but I think it's starting to... Something's going on down in the boiler room there. Uh, facing a world in crisis, the urgency of self-discovery. Uh, she laughed. She said, hasn't the world always been in crisis? Or is it, even if you read the ancients, even way before the Buddha, it's always been in crisis. Uh, that's true. But the stakes are much higher today. Um, <clears throat> and what is the urgency? What is, what's so urgent about self-discovery? What does that have to do with uh, what's going on in the world today? Well, I'll try to a hint tonight. Uh, it has in a very profound way, ultimately, everything to do with it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to use a few visual aid, one visual aid. Uh, this is <clears throat> Sunday we launched the 30th year of uh, CIMC. And if any of you were there, I started off with using our altar as uh, a way of uh, entering into a some reflection on this subject. Before we begin, since some of you are really new, and even those who have been practicing for a while, a Dharma talk is not a lecture. It's not for you to accumulate lots of information. Uh, it's, it's, for example, I wouldn't suggest you take notes. If you want to, it's not a police state. I'm not going to say anything. But it's not about accumulating information. It's about putting practice into practice right now. In other words, it's not waiting for, what, for some other time when real meditation happens. So what would your practice be in a few moments? Well, it's already begun. Is listening. The art of listening is a very, very high art. To begin with externally, but you can't really learn the art of listening externally unless you listen to yourself. Because if you start to pay attention, you'll see that uh, there's quite a ways to go before the quality of listening becomes real, true, pure listening. Because the mind is busy. It hears certain things. Soon you'll hear a few, some content. You'll have reactions and associations and some of it you'll like and agree with and, and some of it you won't. And then suddenly there'll be something about work and, then, and so forth. So the art of listening is a very high art and it isn't given very much uh, respect. For example... If somebody's a good speaker, articulate, uh, direct, uh, alive, charismatic, all the nice words, uh, 
that gets a lot of uh, points. We really like that. A person is really valued if they, are, if they can give good talks, whether it's politics or university or, or here. But I don't think you hear that person much about, that person's a really good listener. Uh, some people are better than others. But listening, and of course, we've already begun deep meditation because the listening, to you, just hearing my words, can't proceed unless you're at the same time in, in, in touch with your inner life as you listen. And watch what happens. It's not to strain and try to be concentrated with your far, uh, brow all furrowed up and trying to hear, well, what does he really mean by that? Uh, it's relaxed openness and begin to see what happens, how you do listening. That's self-discovery. Whereas I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm just saying use this occasion to start to learn about yourself. Real vipassana practice from the time of the Buddha has everything to do with learning. It's the, uh, the highest art, as far as I can tell, perhaps most neglected, wisdom. It's learning the art of living. How, do you, how does one to live? And it's not just the Buddha who valued this. It's in every culture. It, it faces all of us. How is one to live? And uh, how am I to live? It comes down to each one of us. And practice is about uh, keeping, taking a look at how we, each one of us actually lives. Actually Capital letters, italicized, exclamation point. How do we actually live from moment to moment? So it's not a mechanical thing. Just be mindful from moment to moment, and, or even with the breathing, in, out, in, out, in, out. And then something, something, you'll feel more calm. And, but you won't, no wisdom will come out of that. You'll just be a calm fool. <laughs> it's better than being a restless, irritated, impatient fool. But... Uh, there's not necessarily any liberation that comes from that, although it's designed, at least in, in Dharma practice, to, to help us get free. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to use this because I think it uh, concisely summarizes uh, what, I'm, what I think is going to come out of this mouth. Um, I think you can see over here is... Uh, a bodhisattva with a, a this was carved by a Korean Zen monk uh, someone who I briefly met when I was practicing Zen Korean Zen and then he was in the States for a while and when we started the center I asked him if he would um, create an altar th this and that and this and he went into seclusion for I think it was about a month six weeks and uh, there was a, a fallen tree in uh, Providence Rhode Island and that's what he used, uh, and he carved this out of it. Um, that's a bodhisattva, the flower, and it's a more feminine image. Uh, let's not get into gen gender stuff, please. I mean, if you want, it, it could be either way, but historically, often it's considered compassion is considered female. Obviously, it's uh, guys can be compassionate too. It's allowed. In fact, it's required. It's okay. Then over here, you've got a masculine image, of, a very masculine image with a sword. And that's the sort of wisdom, cutting through ignorance, cutting through delusion, cutting through illusion. And, but really, in the Buddhist teaching, they're inseparable. They're personified here. 
for teaching purposes, for ins inspiration. And these are clouds. These represent impermanence, that life is impermanent, that as things keep changing, whether you look at, uh, uh, no matter what, what uh, whether it's cellular or whether you look at the planet, or you, and I think the great innovation of the Buddha, and even a lot of the Upanishads before the Buddha in India, was to notice the, 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 the law of impermanence at work in you. As you, if you watch your self-discovery requires that you pay attention to yourself. And you can't miss, even if you never heard this, that your moods keep changing, your thoughts keep changing, your attitudes change. You say nice things about yourself, then you hate yourself. Then you say you shouldn't hate yourself because that's not good for you. And you heard someone say that, and you read it in a book, and then someone said, well, what does that have to do with anything? And the mind is talking to itself much of the day. Okay. Um... Let's see how we can... So that what is being said is that uh, we live in a world at whatever level you want to look at that is in flux. It, is, it doesn't remain stable. Now, the mind has a tendency to crystallize things, fixate on them, especially ourselves. We think that I'm, I'm Larry. You're whoever you are, whoever you think you are. Who do you think you are? Okay, some of you don't. You'll see that's an important question. Uh, because if you know who you think you are, it's who you think you are, not who you are. But we'll leave that alone for a while. <laughs> I can't, all right. Okay. Um, so what's happening now is, it's true. What my wife said is true. The world has always been, uh, it, it has always been in crisis. They've always, the, the, the problems of cruelty, of... Uh, greed, of hatred, of delusion, of confusion, the same, but the stakes are much higher now. And in those times, people were doing everything that we're doing. Otherwise, why would there be a need for a Buddha or anyone else or any great sages? There'd be no need for them. But there was a need because there's always been some suffering if you're human. If nothing else, the body ages and it grows, it grows and it gets ill and then it dies. And people we love we lose, and people we don't like don't go away. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so one, of the, one important aspect of change is uncertainty. It's not simply that things change. They change in uncertain ways. In other words, we really do not know how things are going to be. We know they're going to change. Now, we live as if that isn't happening, even though... In a discussion, I think everyone uh, clearly understands it does, but it's changing in ways that are uncertain that we we don't can't we don't know, and so uh, everything has consequences. Whatever inventions and history is a constant change, and yet, uh, and that includes a lot of suffering. Why? Because in a world of constant change and flux, everything is changing. Um, we insist on certain things, uh, especially that are fixed. Me, all kinds of things. You'll see if you pay attention. And it's a head-on collision. It's a head-on collision between a lawfulness. This is not Buddhist, particularly. It's, it's, it's a scientific law. Everything is changing. Now, if the mind is not, is not calibrated, the mind and the body, 
to live intelligently. Wisdom is learning how to live in a changing world that's uncertain, where we don't know what's next. And uncertainty can include anything. It's not, it's, well, you, I don't think I have to spell that out. You all know that. Um, so wisdom requires self-understanding, and self-understanding begins, at least in the way the Buddha formulated things, in seeing how the mind is not fit to live in the world as it is. I'm putting it in different terms. Uh, and the reason we know that is because we keep attaching uh, to a world that keeps changing, and then we wonder why we're suffering. So in a sense, it's a head-on collision. We're at war with the lawfulness of life itself. Franz Kafka once said, if there's a contest between you and the world, put, put your money on the world. In other words, you're not, you're not going to win this one. The law just rolls on of impermanence, just rolls on. It doesn't care about us. It's just, it's nature. And it's not all bad. Some of it's quite beautiful. The laws of nature, uh, children can grow up. We like that. I have a, we have a granddaughter now, and we're celebrating how she's growing up. What happens when she gets to a certain age? The celebration starts to diminish, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, so we've got these clouds of change. Now, compassion and wisdom, that's in a sense the, uh, the content. How to live with compassion and wisdom. And you keep re- they're really the same thing. Uh, that you, you can't separate them. I mean, real wisdom includes compassion. Well, we, we these are words. We made up these words. We call, it's a certain energy. Uh, and all Dharma practice is about those, uh, that quality, developing the qualities of mind that have wisdom and compassion in a changing world. So a lot of the problems are suffering is not so much the world as the fact that we're not living in the world in a way that is beneficial for us because we're out of touch. There's one kind of music playing and we're dancing to another another song and wondering why we're not having a good time. And so now, okay, so what? Um, Facing a world in crisis. I'm not going to say a whole lot of this uh, because I think it's obvious. Now, there have always been problems. Let's assume there weren't ISIS and all, all the things that are going By the way, uh, to me personally, and I think everyone who teaches here and all of us, I have no intention whatsoever of politicizing anything here. What I'm talking about is just observation. For example, it's very important for a meditation center to not politicize things, in my opinion even though sometimes inadvertently you can't help it, it does. That doesn't mean you don't do useful things. But uh, when uh, the second invasion of Iraq happened, uh, the young George, the young Bush uh, decided to invade because they supposedly had nuclear weapons and so it turned out not to be so. At any rate, uh, some people were for the war who were in the community here. And there was one person who at a meeting gathering just like this, got up and said, those people should not be allowed to come to CIMC because they're for the war. Uh, How do we decide? So everyone is welcome. Uh, If you think that uh, there isn't such a thing as global warming, fine. 
it's okay. Uh, th that's not the point, because the whole point of a meditation center is to create, is a, is a place where it's a school. This is a school. Now, people don't like to use that word because many of us have bad memories of school, or maybe you're still in school, uh, where it's achievement and competition and grim and money involved and can I get a job and that teacher you know all the rest. Uh, this is a school I don't want I've had enough education I it's a different kind of school but even the ancients referred to it often as a school it's the school has to do with learning the art of living that means it first and foremost has to do with our inner life is to begin to live from the inside out understanding the outside and you can't even un fully understand the outside unless you're clear about your inside. Otherwise, what you're seeing is just a projection of your likes and dislikes and your conditioning and so forth. Of course, that's normal. That's what the world is. Okay, so right now, assuming that there was no um, ISIS, no terrorists, etc., the things that we're bombarded with all the time, um, we have snow. Have you noticed? It's a, a, quite a, a common uh, topic of conversation. In fact, when people start talking that way, I duck around the corner. <laughs> because uh, it's as if, this is, I would say it's first world suffering. You know, it's not, we don't have starvation, we don't have, uh, you know, bullets flying at us directly. And also, we live in the safety, relative safety. Now we're starting to worry, well, is it encroaching upon us? And the media is bringing, every, bringing the world together. Information, we all see, granted, it's not everything that's going on. There are a lot of beautiful things going on on the planet, many. You don't tend to see them so much unless you love GBH. And, you know, so you get to see some of it and other channels too. But mainly it's everything is going, that's going wrong again and again. Every week has a new obsession. Okay, so... And now we're in touch with each other through computers, through TV, all of it. The world has become a very small place and uh, through trade. But um, so as if there wasn't enough to deal with, let's say, interpersonal problems that humans have always had. We've not learned to live with each other. Central to the mission of CIMC is uh, relationship. In other words, learning how to live with each other. We started the center in the middle of the problem, of the full catastrophe. It's not out in the country, chirp, chirp. <laughs> it's here. It's here with uh, sirens and police cars. And, uh, and the reason being is that more and more uh, people like ourselves who have ordinary lives, and by using ordinary, it's not to demean us in any way whatsoever. And... Uh, who also sincerely care about the quality of their life and see uh, meditation as one very important way or self-understanding, self-discovery, wisdom as essential. It's been neglected tremendously. The energy for th quite a while has gone into science, technology, and uh, magnificent accomplishments, tremendous energy. Now, are you? some of you seem to be wandering off because this isn't about you, is it? That's one of the problems, is that we feel it's them, they. It's not true. Here's the Buddhist view of the way we all are together. Listen carefully to it, because let's say when typically, and maybe isn't so of you, uh, 
It's like the world is here and we get born into it. It's like an ongoing thing and then we come into it. And then the world is here and then we die. And so we leave it. Uh, from the point of view of Dharma, the, everything is arising and passing away. So it's not the same. The world you're born into is a world that's changing in the mo- as you are entering into it, it is changing as well. And as you leave it, it is changing. Some people are leaving, some are going. So it's, uh, it's a total interrelationship. We're all totally connected to each other, like it or not, know it or not. Okay, that has uh, complica- implications, especially now, when we're, in, we're t- really together, we're close. Not, uh, and I, you, you, I'm sure you understand that. And uh, the normal problems that we humans have with each other, with illness, with natural catastrophes, that, it's still here, is it? and it's enough. And now we're suddenly finding out all kinds of other things that we have to deal with. And so here's why I, brought, I bring this up. About six months ago, perhaps a year ago, I started to notice, and I've checked with other teachers here in Orion, and not just here, but elsewhere, questions have more and more to do with the state of the world. They didn't used to come up. It was much more about my life, what's going on here. And here's a typical one, uh, and more than once. Uh, someone he, uh, sees on TV the, uh, a report of a beheading. Uh, uh, in uh, there are a number, been a number of them. Let's say ISIS a, a beheading, um, and goes home, uh, and in other words, can't stop thinking about it, and it starts being frightening and depressing. And the person asks, "Well, what do I do about it?" Uh, it's not that we need anything new. We don't need anything new, anything new. Those of you who've been practicing for a while, you already have what you need. It's just remembering to apply it. Everything potentially can, is an opportunity for us to get free. Everything. So that this person saw it on TV. Not exactly the beheading, but it was as close as possible. It was visually presented. Well, in that moment, you're having a reaction. That's a place to practice. That's that's the essence of what I'm getting at. In other words, whatever happens stimulates something in us, and that's what self-discovery is. You're finding out how you actually, actually react to the world as you live in it and as you uh, contribute to it. Uh, the view of the world, that is, the world is shaping us as we come into it, the particular conditioning, cultures, and so forth, and then each of us in somewhat different ways, different cultures, different backgrounds. But then also then we give back. Then it starts to shape us, and then we start to contribute to it. So we're all in this together. Now, I hope you see this in a moment, if you don't already. Um, so for this person... This person then did that, went home, and uh, the emphasis in Vipassana is on clear and direct seeing, accurate seeing. That's what Vipassana means, seeing. Insight is seeing into. Okay, but, so what does that mean? It means seeing that is unbiased, that uh, is not for or against anything, that is, um, 
it's seeing, it's, to me, it's akin to an aesthetic. It's just seeing the way things are in a given moment. It's not seeing in order to get rid of them, to get free. That would be greed. In Buddhist, this is all Buddhist framework. Craving, wanting. I don't want this, I'll look at it and then I won't have, or aversion. I'll aim my awareness at that fear and then blah, 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 shoot it down with mindfulness and then I won't have to be afraid. That's not quite what the practice is. Pure seeing, and it's hard for us to get that because we're so instrumental. We're always doing things in order to get something else. The truth is this has tremendous transformative power. Just clear, pure seeing. But the... the uh, value of it doesn't come about by trying to get value from it, but quite the contrary, from just the seeing itself. In the seeing, the seeing itself is liberating. If something changes, because typically we grasp onto what we like, we push away what we don't like, and a lot of things are boring. We just, we're indifferent. We just get lost in our own stuff. Uh, mindfulness, awareness, whatever language you're at home with, uh, is neither. It's not grasping on to what we like. It's not pushing away what we don't like. It's being with, being aware of. The awareness has no like or dislike in it. It's just like a clear mirror. Now, to begin with, of course it isn't. The mirror is very much colored by our background, our conditioning. We have to start somewhere. We can't wait until we're perfect. But the beauty of awareness is as it, as it unfolds, it can see into itself uh, whether or not it's distorting or whether it isn't. Awareness is, I, you tell me how it does it. It's sort of in the process of paying attention. There's something that knows when the attention is colored. Maybe not at the beginning. If you're very new, maybe not. Okay, so let's take that example of that person. She uh, then uh, experienced it again. And what happened was that the fear came up of the beheading and the, the uh, fear of what the world is becoming and, what, of course, what would happen to her and her family and all of us. And she tried to bring full awareness to it, but was unable to. She was overwhelmed. So then, uh, here's... Uh, okay, hold that in your head for a moment. I'm going to give you another example, and then we're going to bring what we do here... Bring it all together. I'll do my best to do that. The other kind of comments that I've gotten a lot, and not just myself, other, other teachers, and you probably have heard it too, is people um, being very critical of people who are plundering the planet, destroying the nature, destroying the world, the, the greedy bankers, the, uh, the people, the oil and coal people who just... Uh, keep advertising, have huge funds that they can advertise and distort things, the way in which the food industry, and a lot of, um, and so this one, I'm thinking of one exchange I had with someone saying like, how much money do they need? Look how greedy they are. Now, what's my job? Not only, starting with myself, is as because the essence of Buddha Dharma is the contemplative life. In other words, without inner understanding, uh, it's just a bunch of, it's, it's okay, it's good be a good boy and be a good girl, it's like every other religion. Now, other religions use prayer and other methods. Mostly it doesn't seem to go beyond that, except for really devoted people in every religion. But 
the uniqueness of Buddha Dharma is that it's protected and maintained meditative technology for thousands of years, not just in India, but it's spread throughout Asia. And a lot of it has been kept, protected, refined, improved. And so we inherit a wealth of experience of how to train the mind so that it can be clear and see and enable you to live in a very, very different way. We're not helpless in short. Okay, so when this person says, let's say, uh, this one was saying, the bankers, what, how much money do they need to make? Why do they have their own saying? So what I've started doing, it's not so special, it was saying like, yeah, you're right, they're quite greedy. Uh, have you dealt with your own greed yet? And usually the person gets very uncomfortable. Well, uh, you know, sure, I'm, yeah, you know. I... <laughs> you see, that's because we're all in this together. That's what it means. That is, they have much bigger toys, much bigger stakes, much more power. But it's the same human mind. What the, if you extrapolate from what the Buddha is saying, and it goes, you know, it's just taking it from... The crisis in the world is not nuclear weapons. It's not religious ideologies. It's not, it's a crisis in consciousness. Because finally everything issues forth from the human mind. What kind of mind uh, invented a nuclear bomb and used it? What kind of, all of it. So, So that, now I'm not saying that's weird. It seems to be normal. And then there is always the question, well, is there anything we can do about it? Maybe that's just the curriculum here on planet Earth, and we're just finished, you know. Kaput. You know, it's just you're born here, everything is just horrible, and it's a, a challenge for you. Greed, hatred, and delusion, get old, get sick, die, you know, next, get, you know. Uh, bring up children, you're very happy, and then they uh, get to teenage, you're not so happy with them, you know. Um, but the Buddha's teaching is not... It's not optimistic or pessimistic. As far as I can tell, it's realistic. And what it is saying is each individual does have the resources. I'm not, what I'm about leading into is not some kind of messianic, if we're all mindful, planet Earth will be, I don't know, paradise. Great. Because now sometimes it's starting to sound like that with mindfulness movements and all that. I'm all for it. Anything that helps people wake up even a little bit. It can't be worse than what we have. Uh, but what is, what is, to me, not is palpable and um, possible and realistically possible. Because I've seen some of it in my own life and other people's lives. And I'm not that special. And it's is that if you, if you value the quality of your life and you realize that you can eat all the organic food you want at Whole Foods, I do, I care a lot about diet, I'm very much, and drink green tea until your face turns green. Uh, but if the mind is not, in fact, there's one bumper sticker, eat all organic food and die anyway. I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> um, but finally you'll see that when, finally, as we say, the bottom line is the quality of the mind. Because things do go wrong, in quotes. They do happen. Things don't necessarily go our way. Things are impermanent. They change, and they change in ways that are not predictable to us, or even what we want. 
Okay, so what the Buddhist teaching is saying is, can it, it's, let's put it as a question. Is it possible for us humans to learn how to not waste so much energy, to bring energy together, and to develop it so that we can direct our energy into qualities of mind and speech and action that are actually beneficial for us and the people in our life? Is it possible for us to re-educate ourselves with the encouragement of others who want to do it? Because you can be awfully lonely if you're just going to do that by yourself. And in a certain way, even in a community, at times it is lonely. But that's only until practice really takes root, because then if loneliness comes up, it's just loneliness. You can see it. It's a mind state. It's like any other. It comes and it goes. Oh, I'm very... But then if you make, I'm a lonely person, then you have loneliness. Then you are a lonely person. In meditation, beginners, for those of you who are just pretty new at this, typical question, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm trying to follow the breath, but my mind just wanders all over the place. I, I'm just not concentrated. I'm, I'm, my mind is too scattered. I'm a very scattered person. Well, if you make I'm a very scattered person, you have a, you're a very scattered person. Game is over. You just finished yourself off. How about throwing, it's just a thought in the mind. Don't believe everything you think. It's another bumper sticker I've seen. <laughs> just read the bumper sticker. No, no, some of them are. <laughs> you don't have to come here. Um, so what is being said, and I'm gonna, uh, what is being said is that whatever is happening now, and no one's denying uh, that now, the reason that the stakes, uh, when I say the stakes are higher, that means the exi- our existence is endangered. The life of the planet is endangered. If, if we can't drink the water, breathe the air, grow food out of soil, if everything becomes depleted, uh, if more and more we become sectarian and all we see is strife and conflict, and we and the, uh, we live in this small planet, and we d- don't seem to be able. Here's another question that comes up. It's so obvious. Everyone, most people agree. If you have a reasonable amount of, you don't even have to be that educated. People can see that the planet is in trouble. And people who have leadership ability see it and speak in very articulate ways about it. In fact, just turn on Sunday TV when the talking heads go to town. You know, they see everything and they have a solution for everything. Why is it that we don't act on behalf of our understanding? Well, it's not just the, pla- the planet, the human, because we don't as individuals. Have you noticed this in yourself? See if it's true. It may not be. I certainly saw it in myself when I started to take this whole journey of self-discovery when it became very interesting to me, is that I would see exactly what had to be done or not done. I see what what had to be changed, either let go of or a switch. Certain things that were not working, let it go. You can see it again and again and again. And other things you know are working and and we neglect them. So why don't we live our understanding? We tend to, why do we betray our understanding? We know exactly what to do and not to do. And yet we are masters of postponement. 
Oh, I'll do it next year. I'll do it. For example, listening to a few thousand miles, I've been teaching this stuff for a long time. And people say, can you learn to look at your fear? It's very important. If you want to get free of fear, which is vital, say so you have little by little, you have to learn how to look at fear. Because it's underlying so much of what we're talking about. person who's been practicing for a while, this is an actual exchange. Oh, well, um, maybe in a couple of years I'll be able to look at fear, but right now I'm not. Didn't ever will. This is what I've seen empirically. It's not just one person. So at a certain point you have to start moving to learn how to look at your actual life as you actually live it in a real... This is the world we live in. This is it. Do you know that? This is it. I wish there weren't ISIS and Shmisis, you know, and all this other stuff. But there is. I wish that we hadn't plundered the earth. But we are doing it. So we happen to live in this time period. It's very important that we accommodate ourselves to this accurately and understand, well, how can I live in a world that's, that's like this? So that now what? Well, let's take the tools that were being, being given. I'm going to give it very, very simply because there's so many different techniques and methods. The main ones that I use, that's all. It's not the only way, hardly. I use the breath a lot and have been teaching that for many years. The breath in one, in one way is giving exclusive attention to breathing, in, out, in, out. And it's been learned over thousands of years. On my own, I never would have figured it out. It's too simple-minded. If you pay attention to the breathing and if you don't get discouraged at the outset how wild your mind is, people say, oh, I can't meditate my mind as well. Everyone's mind is wild. That's why meditation exists. If your mind wasn't wild, you wouldn't need to be here. And I'd have to get an honest job. <laughs> so I'm glad your mind is wild. And if you, so, uh, but once you, you start paying attention to respiration, allowing it to flow in and out, and don't get discouraged by how busy the mind is, how powerful, and learn from that. Wow, look how my mind repeats itself over and over again, years, and uh, digs deep trenches in the mind. Who knows what it does to the brain? It does. And if you can very gently just come back to the simple, natural process of respiration, which is, say, is acknowledging that you're alive. If you, you say, oh, I'm breathing. In other words, you're noticing, oh, I'm alive. I think we go through much of the day, we're not, we're not aware that we're alive. We just, we know what to do, we're doing it, we can even be quite effective. And yet we're not fully alive. The aliveness is stunted or covered over by repetition. And, and we're, the, our practice is learning how to develop freshness in a world where repetition is, is inescapable. You do have to brush your teeth every night and morning. And also that other thing I hate. What do you call it? See how much I, you know, flossing. Fortunately, my dentist is not here. Okay. No, he often, he comes here. Um, okay, so, uh, so that one use of breath, if you can stay with it, the quality of mind changes. It's not something, it's not for special people. It's lawful. If you do it, you can start to feel much more calm, and you now have a resource. If you're getting upset or frightened, you can, even, you can do it on a park bench. You can do it in a bus terminal. It doesn't really, on an air, anywhere, in bed. 
And if you have a little or come here and do it. Just in, out. Sometimes all you need is a few breaths. And you're back in planet Earth. You're settled. And you're able to then face what needs to be faced. Could be at a conference, at business, or whatever it is that your life is composed of. Uh, so that's helpful. That's, we call that shamatha, concentration. That means you're giving exclusive attention to the breath. And whenever the mind runs away and goes somewhere else, very gently, you escort it back. By doing that enough times, the, you have, your mind is, re, is remade. It's a, it's a new mind. It now has a certain strength of steadiness, stability. We call it samadhi, a stableness of mind. And then the challenge is, can we bring that, not just limited to a cushion or CIMC, can we bring that into relationship, into work, into everything? into shoveling the snow, into watching whatever it is. Okay, that's one kind of practice. And that's so we're, uh, this technology has been used for thousands of years, long before the Buddha. The Buddha then asked, answered, for example, with this person who couldn't look at her, her fear of uh, the beheading, whatever that brought up. Um, as the mind becomes steadier, it's also, you could use the word, stronger. It's more than it has to learn. Can it look at fear? Well, if you train the mind and it has more strength, it's more able to do it. But you have to give it an opportunity to train itself. If you avoid fear every time, it's not going to learn how to do that. And it doesn't matter if you fail over and over. There's no not fail is the wrong word. You know, it's just you get overwhelmed, you come back. Learning is central. This is not about getting, it's not a degree-granting program or, you know, A, B. It's not, we have such a competitive mind and so instrumental. This is you learning about you. It's not, no need to compare yourself with anyone. It's you learning about you, me learning about me, through actually paying attention and being interested in learning. Do you want to learn about how you actually live? You have to start with yourself, and then how do you? That, of course, affects how you are with other people. They are inescapable. Okay, so then this person had been doing the. The breath can also be useful as an accompaniment, sort of like um, when the fear comes up. As you breathe in and breathe out, now it's not exclusive. Simultaneously, as you're breathing in and breathing out, it kind of helps calm and steady the mind, and you, it helps you look at fear. Some people find that very helpful, not everyone. And then at a certain point, many people, not everyone, just awareness itself. And you can always go back to the breath if you need it. And of course, I'm not saying uh, breath is just what I prefer. Metta is good. There's so many different ways of strengthening the mind and equipping it. So we're equipping the mind uh, now this is, so that it can live in this world and, and it's not overwhelmed, it is not uh, helpless. You have, to, you have resources. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to do it. You, in other words, you have, to, you have to practice. That's why we call it a practice. And if it's done in a grim, joyless way, like a medicinal way, in, out, in, out, in, out, or, or mechanical. This is something I've seen over the years, not just here, at every place that I've taught. Many of us work so hard at our job at school, and it, things are so complex and rapid and so many things to do, um, multitasking, and uh, you, I don't have to tell you, uh, that you come to a meditation center and it's sort of like 
there's a certain emotional exhaustion. Just tell me what to do and then I'll be calm and happy and all that, right? Wrong. You know, uh, we've killed the joy of learning. Essential to wisdom is learning how to live. And how do you learn how to live? By seeing that this kind of action is painful, it doesn't work. We know it in very simple ways. Our hand touches fire, you get burned. Maybe you do it a second time. Most of us don't do it after that. And yet we behave with emotionally and in other ways in a similar way. We don't seem to be able to learn that lesson. Why? Well, I don't know. Let's, let's inquire. Let's pay attention. Uh, and so we can unlearn so many of the things that need to be let go of. And that makes room. That makes space and, and doesn't waste energy. So much energy is wasted on futile ways in which we the mind goes and then behavior issues forth from it. So whatever is awaits us, okay, what I mentioned was uh, facing a world in crisis. Okay. Facing means it's not running around being miserable looking for trouble, but it's here. And if it affects you, then that's what your life is in that moment bringing awareness to it. And we're developing the skills through meditation techniques and methods and practice and a community and so forth. Study can be helpful. Uh, sometimes even people like myself can be useful. Videos, etc. Uh, but finally, as the Buddha pointed out, and to me, I take the Buddha literally, this is to me one of the most important things that the Buddha said, be a lamp unto yourself. Finally, no one can heal you. No one can free you. I can't. I know that. If the Buddha couldn't, what kind of chance does a little guy from Brooklyn have? None. The Buddha said that. I'm just a finger pointing at the moon. If you get stuck at my finger, you're not going to see the moon. The, the, only, the, the value of the Buddha and the teaching is that it points to the moon, so you can see the moon. These teachings, CIMC, is to get you to look at yourself so you can liberate yourself. I don't see any other way. If you think something miraculous is going to come from outside, good luck. Maybe you'll have better fortune than I did. But I found out, hmm, okay. And then the attitudes, the, the urgency of self-discovery. I know that word makes it sound kind of grim. To me, uh, learning, when you learn about yourself, and it's not a psychological preoccupation because... Uh, oddly enough, self-discovery uh, is you. Uh, it sounds like at the beginning, it's there's a lot of overlap with what you would discover uh, psychologically in psychotherapy, or just by paying attention. But finally, and this was put most beautifully by a great Japanese master named Dogen. He said, "Buddha Dharma. That's what you're coming here to learn. Buddha Dharma." Uh, to understand Buddha Dharma, you have to understand yourself. Uh, to learn about yourself. To understand yourself is to forget yourself. What? And as more and more as you start to see what's going on in the mind, it falls away, falls away, falls away. And then there's something with immense depth and space. And at that point, it's called different things. Buddha nature, the unconditioned... I'd rather not call it anything. When you stillness, 
I like that one because that's what it feels like. But the stillness is not just lying in a hammock and just uh, uh, just being dead. It's highly charged with life. And, and all the compassion and, and, uh, and wisdom you could ever want is the stillness. It's amazing. It's miraculous to me. I can't explain it. And there are no words. The Buddha only described it once. He said, the original mind, and it was the mind before it got conditioned, is luminous. He doesn't say much more about it. Because the more words you, you, you're trying to use words to talk about something that has no words in it. Now, when that starts to emerge, and it's not that far away, if we stop getting so enamored with all the productions of the mind, all the coming and going, coming and going, um, you have a, a resource to face life that is incomparable. And that's what the journey of self-discovery, the urgency of it, is that right now the world, you can have all the conferences and meetings and new treaties and all the rest of it. We've had them thousands of years and uh, promises and they're so limited and yet so what is being said now is we're at a point where we need more and so I think that's why let's say mindfulness-based stress reduction Buddhist meditation and all kinds of these related things there seems there is some brightness in the in the planet I hope CIMC is a tiny little bright light in a very dark world right now and there are other lights uh, people are starting to discover that the ancients knew all too well that what you eat affects your consciousness and affects your health. And, duh, really? How could that be? Uh, and all kinds of, in other words, so there's a movement towards sanity. I would say that's what the Buddha is trying to help us move towards sanity. But you have to do it in your own life. So it's an interplay between what we see in the world and how it affects us, whether it's in Iraq or Syria on TV, or whether it's our next door neighbor, you know, who doesn't shovel their sidewalk and, and you have to slush, you know, go through and, and, and I cleaned off my sidewalk, what's wrong with you? Why don't you clean your sidewalk? Well, the person didn't want to. So, um, hmm. I guess there's some content that was found, the title was In Search of Something. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, one one last point. This is not I don't know if many of you may not have heard of it. It's not engaged Buddhism. If you're interested in engaged Buddhism, fine. But that isn't what I'm talking about. Because engaged Buddhism is when in fact you don't have to be a Buddhist. We don't ask you, are you gonna be a Buddhist? you can be an atheist, believe in God, be a Christian, be a Muslim. I personally don't care. That's your business, but are you willing to do this practice and learn about yourself and then let the chips fall where they may and allow that to unfold? Okay, there's so many things that the world needs done, whether it's in terms of the environment or, you know, all kinds of new groups springing up to raise money for, the, for impoverished children, uh, you know, endless, they're on TV a lot, and you may have a particular interest. Mine is war. Uh, I was in the military. I was in the Army of Occupation after World War II. And I lived in Germany for two years. A Jewish guy walks into this country, and I saw what war does to the country, a country, 
demolished buildings. You've seen them in the movies. Uh, very few men, and the one many walking around with one arm, one leg, prostitution everywhere, uh, totally demoralized society. And I went to the camps at one Auschwitz, um, excuse me, Dachau. Um, and I served my two years, but I refused to bear arms. I don't understand war. I've been, and I've been studying it. I've read Asian views of war. I've watched war movies. My wife thinks I'm obsessed. She's right. If you've grown up during World War II, you're finished. Have any of you grown up during World Because I followed it with my father. We'd follow where the Allies and the Brits and the French were and, you know, and where the Nazis were and every day in the newspaper. And uh, It's real to me. And then I was over there right after the war. And I, I still don't understand. It's the ultimate expl- uh, san- insanity because it doesn't solve anything. Again and again and again, we do it to each other. So there's something we humans have a learning disability. You know, it's not just children who've, uh, I don't know, whatever, you know, all these theories. Now there's a lot of uh, research on it. Somehow the human race, can we learn? I don't know. But can you as an individual learn? I think so. I know so. So let's say this practice to some degree helps you with what is brought up in you by the world that you live in. That means your mind can be a little bit more clear and that however you apply yourself, you might be more of an asset than if you just react. For example, some of us who are quite involved in the, in the anti-war movement in Vietnam, and, and I was in rooms where there was probably more anger in that room against the war than there was in Vietnam. I mean, it was just people pounding on tables, different strategies, what we should do to end the war and so forth. Um, uh, is it possible, it, in other words, our minds were not clear, and some of the ways in which we did things were stupid and just uh, made things miserable for us and for others. So the degree to which you work on yourself, should you decide to contribute, to participate in some, something that needs to be done in the world, you have a better chance of doing a good job if your mind is clearer rather than, than all befuddled with preoccupations and ancient, old conditioning that you inherited. We all did. We grew up and it was just programmed into us. Okie dokie. Um, I forgot what you... By the way, you didn't introduce yourself. What is your name? Iris. Hi, Iris. I don't think you mentioned your name. You did? I did not. Yeah. Thank you, Iris. Um, you, if I heard you correctly, um, people have to stay here or no? Those who want to leave can leave now. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's up to you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, here's what I think. Stay as long, it will not be ill-mannered if you decide to get up. Let's say you can only stay 20 more minutes. or you, Typically, you don't, you're not that interested in what everyone else has to say. You just want to know what the teacher has to say. Um, it won't be rude to get up. Some of you have to get home or have to get up early in the morning for work. I understand that. It's not rude. So there was uh, one principle that either you leave now, and if you don't leave now, you have to stay for the, for the entire session. I don't, I don't feel that's practical. So um, 
If there's anything we can, but let's get right into it. No break. If you want to stretch or move a little because you've been sitting for a while, that's fine. But um, anything we can talk over together, please, at whatever level. Please. I think one of the hardest things um, in practice and dealing with the most personal injustices that I've encountered as well as like world injustices is the concept that the world should be this, it should be fair, it should be nice, it should be this and that, as opposed to really just the world is what it is. And I'm no noticing like how much to kind of like be in denial of seeing the world as it is. And I was wondering how I could bring that into practice, because I don't think I'm very useful in helping or benefiting the world or be a benefit in the world if I'm stuck in, well, it should be this or that. I mean, I could do things, but it might cause suffering, and I feel like just to simply be able to see it for what it is. Yes. And see, well, life is unfair. Uh, okay, unfair, that's a concept, too. Fair, kind of, okay. But look, if you pay attention, typically it sounds like there's a bit of suffering for you because of this, right? Sure, yeah. Suffering is... The, is a beautiful, that's, that's the, it, that's like an alarm goes off. Practice, this is where you go, this, it's nothing vague about it. The Buddha said, all I'm teaching is suffering and the end of suffering. Now, suffering doesn't just mean torment. It can be very subtle, ranging from kind of existential feelings of incompleteness uh, to s tremendous torment. So, whatever this is bringing up, this issue you have, I, I think we all understand what you're saying. The world is the way it is. Now, uh, I'm not going to suggest how it should be, because I would just feed into more of what you're talking about. Uh, so the role of meditation is for you to start with yourself. How is the impact? In other words, what is, what is behind your question? Something in your life prompted that question. So the answer is in the question, in a sense, in you. Not in me. I can't answer it. And... Um, if you, do, if you get clearer by seeing how you have views and opinions or it shouldn't be this way, but then again, here's, here's typically how minds work. I don't know about yours. Well, that isn't fair. It shouldn't be that way. And then you being broadly educated. Well, who said it shouldn't be that way? It, it should and shouldn't. And then a, a, a dial, you, a, you get into a discussion the different selves are starting to talk. A little conference is going on there between. They're all representing you as being you, and then they're gone. And then the next one comes in and says, "No, I'm you." I said, "No, you're not. You are just conditioned. That's habitual. You shouldn't do that. Meditators don't do things like that. Uh, I'm the you as a meditator." Well, but then you, it's the same thing. In other words, there. But as you see that, it falls away, and what's left is clarity. So then, in the particular examples, I don't know what your life is like, you do have a better chance of... Let me give you a, a very, very simple example of it. I, there's so many cases of this. Moms, who, moms and dads, but it seems mainly moms. Let's say children growing up... Here's, here's an example. It comes, I've heard it a hundred times, easily, over the years. Um, Johnny doesn't, I don't know why it's always the boy, but it is, okay. Johnny doesn't clean, off, clean up his crumbs after he eats. And so he says, and I, I've told him first nicely, to, you know, he's like six years old, seven, eight, whatever, saying, and now I get very impatient, 
and I get annoyed, and I know that's wrong, but I can't help it. I mean, it just doesn't seem to change. Uh, what can meditation, how can it help me? Okay, so uh, that's a meditation in, in, uh, in action, where it's in relationship. So let's say you say, uh, you, the, the mom asked Johnny, people have done this now, over, uh, please uh, clean up your crumbs. How many times do I have to tell you this? Uh, you know, if you don't do it, your father or I have to do it, or your sister has to do it. And then the, the, the child does it begrudgingly, pushes a few crumbs on the floor, you know, whatever, all that stuff. But if you watch it, your reactivity, if you watch your reaction, which is conditioned, you can't help it, okay, uh, that gets weaker and it falls away and then the mind is clearer and that makes room for a response. To me, a response is very different from a reaction. A re- I'm use- this is language... I'm using language this way. Reaction is, you can't help it. So you know, it's conditioned, just like prick me, I'll bleed. Okay, don't don't clean off the crumbs. I get angry. I would get impatient. Okay, as you watch the reactions and they lose their potency simply by seeing them, not trying to get rid of them. Because if you try to get rid of them, you're giving them life in an odd way. Okay, as that falls away, it makes room for a response. The response may be the very same words. But the energy is different. Johnny, you know that if you don't clean the, the crumbs, uh, the, uh, others, we have to do it, and we have other things we have to do. Daddy has to get to work, I have to get to work, your sister, and what people report is that uh, it's the same message, but the energy is different because it comes from a response rather than a reaction. So what you would say or do, I don't know. Now, one of the things you start to learn to trust is the clear mind has a better chance of doing something that's pretty good than the mind that's full of conditioning. And uh, often you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth, but it seems to be, "Mm, it's right, because it was clear. So that's a small example, but do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, but remember, this. what I'm saying shouldn't be misunderstood as passivity and fatalism like, oh, just walk right over me, I practice Buddhist meditation, I'm just a uh-huh. d- doormat. Uh, in other words, what you, say or do, for, what you say or do, if it comes from clarity, is very, very different. For example, uh, we, there was a Tibetan Lama who, I used to live here, this is my apartment for 11 years, you're all in my apartment, get out. <laughs> You're, you're in the kitchen, okay. Uh, and he stayed up here, uh, he taught, and he's, for about two months, a uh, couple of nights a week, uh, he would give talks on uh, Tibetan Buddhist Vipassana, okay. And after, towards the end, one time, it was on Tibetan, on Buddhist economics, and someone raises their hand, this may be getting at what you're, uh, and they say, um, well, I've been working, I, I can't remember the numbers, I'm just making numbers up. said, I work for an employer and he promised me uh, $400 uh, a week, 
But then when I get my paycheck, it's really only $200 a week, and the person's really angry as they're delivering it. Uh, what does a Buddhist, the person who's really baiting this Lama, what does a Buddhist do about that? And so, you know, the Lama got quiet and said, um, well, I would send as much loving kindness as, as you can muster up, send it to this, to your boss, remember? Oh, he had been giving, the Lama had been talking about how uh, one of the things he didn't see in the West was that we didn't seem to have gratitude for employers who invested money and created companies and buildings so that we could have a job. We only wanted to get from them, you know, and they wanted to get from us. So, he was, so that's what prompted this question. So this person was needling the Tibetan Lama, expecting some kind of platitude. And so the Lama said, well, I would send as much loving kindness to your employer as you can and then sue him for the rest of the money. <laughs> So it's not being a jerk. Yeah. Where's Junior? He's home studying. He's outgrown. He's outgrown meditation, right? Yeah. I understand. Yeah. He'll, he'll be back. He 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 needs some more. He needs to, the world's got to punch him around a little bit more. I know. No one that I know escapes. Yeah. Yes, please. I'm reading your book right now, Breath by Breath. And it's Which one? Breath by Breath. Oh, sure. It's been highly recommended. It's been really powerful for me. Um, and it seems like a lot of... It seems like a lot of... You have to put it right up to your mouth. And Is it on? There's a light. Do I need it? I think so for the people in the back, yes. Hello, everyone. Okay, there we go. Um, it seems like a lot of the suffering in the world right now is sort of a projection of personal suffering, and that's, that's some of the conclusion that I've come to in my work, um, dealing with sustainability and kind of building capacity for sustainability on campuses in particular. Um, but in that process and kind of trying to restore natural systems, I've kind of depleted myself. Mm -hmm. um, so a new kind of realization that I've come to is that self-love is, is where I need to put a lot of my energy in that, in that I will be so much more impactful um, if I have natural, healthy natural systems myself. So I guess my question is, or challenge, and, and kind of may relate to, to those fellows, but... Um, kind of that balance of, um, mm -hmm. I struggle with it, like the self-assurance versus the self-emptiness. Yeah, and you don't mean emptiness good, you mean emptiness depleted. Um, yeah, well, it's a lot of the Buddhist readings that I'm, I'm working through, you know, it's, it's this dissolving of the self. Yes. Um, so I struggle with that in a world where I want to, be confident and make the greatest impact I can and be sure of myself. Yes. Um, so maybe you could speak to that a little Possibly, bit. Possibly, and see if I'm, if I'm meeting you where you, because if not, correct me. Um, I do my best to listen, but I don't know, I'm not always right. Um, it sounds like what you're doing is cultivating a good quality of, you know, b being more loving to yourself, caring about yourself. And sure, you, but... Uh, the awareness approach, the wisdom approach, what got you burnt out in the first place? 
See, in other words, get to the root of why you're ex exhausted in the first place. Um, and it's not either or. For example, take metta. Metta means loving kindness, or most of you have heard it, but new people may not have. And that's a quality you can cultivate, meaning practice it again and again. It gets stronger. But the real metta is innate. Now, until you see this, it's in the silence. Until you see it for yourself, when the mind gets really silent, uh, you find that you are more loving and that you are kinder to other people. And to me, it's not, like you're not that you're trying to be. It just comes with it. It's part of it. So that, yes, it's good that you recognized you, you're, doing, you're doing good work in, a good, in an area that needs work. And that's what I was getting at. Everyone has different ways of, well, you found your way. But if you don't take care of yourself, then you won't be able to take care of what you're, you're there for. So it's, it is a balance. And how do, you, how do you come to balance? Through noticing imbalance. Yeah. Uh, you see what I mean? So this, uh, this approach is a great Indian philosopher named Nagarjuna. And most of the Buddha's teaching is it's a way of negation. In other words, you come to balance by seeing imbalance and letting go of imbalance. So you can feel it. If you start paying attention, you'll see where it's, there's something extra that you're doing and then you, you find out, well, why am I doing that? Well, I want people to love me at work. And you say, but you're exhausted, and you're not really helping. Shouldn't you have gone home about a half an hour ago? Maybe I'm talking to myself right now. Do you love me? <laughs> uh, but do you see what I mean? Words, that's what self-discovery is. Self-discovery is you start to see what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so as, that, as you um, unlearn that, the energy, because so much energy is squandered, that that energy is now available to you. And having a goal of being more balanced, that's okay too. But if it's just trying to do that without dealing with the cause, you know, then it's, it's probably going to run up against it again and again. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? We have time for one more. Um. Please. Sort of a two-fold question, I guess. Sure. Um, you mentioned how some people, sort of even experienced practitioners, have a like a not engaging with certain things that seem too difficult or overwhelming. Like yes. Fear. And I'm wondering, um, I guess to like really wake up and stay awake, is, is it necessary to some degree to commit yourself to practice, like like long-term practice in a like in a monastery or at a center? Yeah. And if so. Like I, I know you practiced the, the quantum Zen before. Like how how do you choose or know what? Yeah, every, it's there's no path for everyone, and there's no stipulated journey for everyone. Having practiced in ten years in Zen, Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese, uh, before that I was with Krishnamurti, Indian. I've been I was in Vedanta for five years in Indian. You know, you have to find your own way. Uh, for example. Sitting loads of, of long retreats, going to a monastery, is no guarantee that, of, of, that you, of, of anything. It depends on what do you, what do you, what do, you do with your time. Here's what helped me just recently. When I go to see a dentist, I don't know, he's not here tonight. He's, he's, <laughs> he said he, was, he might be, I'm glad he didn't. Um, for, for a number of years, because I, I, I've asked dental hygienists when they're cleaning my teeth, which do you think is, which do you feel is better, an electric toothbrush or just manual? 
and everyone gives me different ones. Finally, this one woman from Ethiopia, who's a dental hygienist, and I asked her that, and she paused, and she said, oh, I don't think it has to do with whether it's an electric toothbrush or whether you do it manually. It has to do with the brusher. Do you see what I'm getting at? So that the forms are there to help. But you, for example, it is possible. I've seen it. That's part of why we started CIMC, where it is possible for people to do five, six, seven, three-month retreats, go to Asia, sit in seclusions, go up into the mountains, sit in, you know, I've done it, and I've seen it myself, and then walk into Harvard Square and you're a jerk. <laughs> you know, or all that has to happen is you get involved in a relationship and, you're, and you, it's as if you never sat in your life. So um, we humans are masters of self-deception. And it dep now, if you're going to live a life as a monk, live it out, and you just live in the forest, and you spend a lot of your life, most of your life, there, and as a monk, and so you're related to in a certain way, at least in the ancient way, then that's, that's one thing. But we're lay people. Uh, we have to learn how to, uh, how to relate to work, school, family, no family, unemployed, employed, all the, this is our world. And so if you, uh, it's good to come to CIMC. It's good to go to these other places, IMS, Forest Refuge, Barry Center, and so forth, from time to time to pull back and to give your nervous system a rest and to just look at yourself. So those are wonderful places. But then inevitably, you come back into the world and the world is constantly teaching. The, life is the ultimate master. It is teaching you. And if you, if you start, what I saw in myself was I did loads of three-month retreats here and in Asia. And I saw that somehow it wasn't carrying over so much in, in a relationship I was at. That is, it seemed like, well, I'm the same jerk that I was before I found out about meditation. So then I realized I had to start paying the principles that we learned are not limited to CIMC or IMS or any other places. Do you see what I'm getting at? So, and some people, their temperament is such so that they benefit from sitting a lot. They have contemplative nature. I have. I, lo I love to sit. I always did. I have to, so I have to be careful. Uh, CIMC, and I'm married now, that's a good balance. Married. My wife is biggest pain in the ass of my life. I mean, I love her, but God, she doesn't agree with everything I say. <laughs> and I wind up doing the dishes far too often. <laughs> but at any rate, um, so I can't, in other words, in a sense, one teacher a long time ago, I asked a question similar to yours. It says, find the path with heart. For example, I was in Zen, Korean Zen, for five years. A great teacher, great community. But it was koan zen, and I did okay with it, and I was being groomed to teach and all that, but it wasn't exactly for me. Then I moved into the, you know, and then what I'm doing now for many years, I found, ah, this is for me, but it might not be for the person, it isn't for someone else. So I, I'm not going to lay out a perfect curriculum. I know it's t it'd be easier. Like if you work with certain teachers, they'll just tell you, you can only practice this way. The Buddha meant to this. They, they know exactly what the Buddha had in mind. And this is how you do it. You sit for 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes at night. I don't know. Where do they get that number from? For one person, especially at the beginning, it's a nightmare to sit that long. Another person is just getting warmed up. And so you, it, it, learning is central 
as you un as your practice unfolds for you to, for you to find your own practice part of what makes it interesting does that does that help I know it's not giving you an answer I guess I, I guess I have a my question would also be sort of I think in American society there's a there's a cultural dislike of hierarchy and teachers and, and all do, of that. do you dislike hierarchy and teachers I, I don't did. care about American culture I did and I guess now I'm starting to think or wonder um, who's going to call on my bullshit because when I sit, I will sit as far as I'm willing to go Yeah. and I don't see the areas that I don't want to go. Yes. So I guess, do you know, have you seen anyone that can practice like without a teacher or without a community or whatever? The Buddha. <laughs> but, uh, but look, no, you, it's a valid point, but that's part of what a Sangha is about. But you see, here's where I'd like to, daily life is going to rough you up going to push you. Now, if you're willing to learn, take relationship, please. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, anyway, no, no one's here who knows my wife. All right. Um, it's an old Borscht circuit Jewish joke. You know, um, it can be helpful to have a teacher, but it's not a guarantee of anything. Uh, one of my teachers, an Indian gentleman named Krishnamurti, what was so, why, of all, I've been helped by many teachers, but why did he help me the most? Because he, no matter where I thought I got to, he cut it down. I never got one compliment in all the time that I worked with him. But, I, but there was a tremendous amount of love there. And I would, and I would get, to a, where other, I'd get to a place where I was pretty self-satisfied, and he'd listen and just very clearly and help me understand it. So he helped. But then finally, even with a teacher, much of your life is not going to be with the teacher. Teachers also die. You know, they go away. They go back to wherever. And so, but if you live your life and let life be your teacher, it's going to keep pushing buttons. If you're willing to learn from your reactions, it will show you where you're kidding yourself. Are you willing to learn? That's the question. And it, is, it can be difficult. What I've observed is we have a powerful, uh, we're masters of self-deception, of hiding, of not looking at what we need, what we need to look at most of all. Of, and here you, uh, you can get very calm and happy with just the breath, in, out, in, out, oh, and just do lots of that. And that could be a dead end. It's still a better way to live than if you hadn't learned it. But this is going a little bit beyond that. So uh, if you run into a teacher who's helpful, why not? Uh, don't get caught up in, you know, there's some ideology. You're right, in America, anti-hierarchical. You know, that's not what's relevant. It's your life that's relevant. And if you run into a teacher who you feel can help you, I think you'd be foolish to not take advantage. But the time may come when then they can't help you anymore and you move on. But finally, you'll have to be a lamp unto yourself. Sorry, we're just stuck with that. I, I agree with the Buddha. We have to learn how to take care of ourselves, stand on our own two feet, as hard as that is. I know it isn't. What's the second point? Or have you already covered it? No, that's good. I, I think I knew the answer. I just needed to hear it. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. Okay. Troublemaker. Okay. He's what we would call a high-maintenance yogi. In other words, he makes me work hard. All right. That's a euphemism for pain in the ass. Okay.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.